Hey, everybody. I'm so excited because today we have a special guest with us. We have the one and only Terse Inglehart. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Super great to be here with you, Bonnie. And of course, Jeremy's here too. Jeremy, of course, Jeremy's here. Jeremy's always like, I feel so bad. I'm like this booming voice. Um, we are thrilled you're here, but I don't want to spill why you're here or what you do. So why don't you just start by telling people who you are and what you do? Okay, good. So also, hi, Jeremy. Hi, Terry. <laughs> so, I know, I, so I should have said hi first to you, and I didn't do that. I do, I do exist. It's, it's okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so let's see. That's such a big question. Who am I? Okay, yeah. so um, let's see. Where do I want to start? I'm, I'll just start from uh, I was... I was born into a military family in 1950. So for some mm -hmm. of you, <laughs> you weren't even a thought yet. But, um, and, you know, those times were different. And I grew up in, a, I grew up in a family that moved a lot. I've lived in 40 different places in my lifetime. So wow. one of the skill sets that I learned as a child was how to get close to people quickly. Mm. And then... Also, how to be okay with separation and kind of believing that we might meet up again someday is how I created that in order to navigate it as a child. Oh, that's And I lived in, yeah, and I lived in Cuba pre-Castro. So I lived in Guantanamo Bay as a second grader. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was a... That was a super interesting time, and I actually sure. loved it. What do you remember most about it? Well, I remember the food. I remember the tropical food. It was the first mm -hmm. time I'd lived in the tropics, and yeah. I remembered that people danced and sang, and I mm -hmm. thought it would be much better to be one of them than to be in a family that had to, you know, sit up straight at the dinner table and uh, not be too boisterous. And I was the youngest of three girls, and... Um, I was probably the most rambunctious and curious and creative. And hmm. Hmm. did you ever see Hemingway out there? No, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> for the big story, <laughs> the big reveal. <laughs> and my older sisters were. Um, so my oldest sister was five years older than me, and my middle sister is two years older than me. And so I also learned how to navigate the rules and regulations in my family by seeing how they got in trouble and then avoiding yeah. that. That was wise. That was, yeah, that was super I did that smart. Too. It was smart. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tactic of the younger child. It is. It is. And then, um, yeah, so I loved it. We had horses. We um, got to play outside all the time. We had outdoor movie theaters. We square danced. Uh, it was beautiful. I loved it. I loved mm. the... It was, like I said, it was my first kind of experience of living in the tropics, which I'm not actually drawn to the tropics anymore, but I was then. Mm. And then we went from there to England. I lived in uh, Pearly, Surrey, and I went to a, I was the first American. My sisters and I were the first Americans in a all-girls school in, outside of London. And so I went, that was a pretty big contrast from yeah. tropics in Cuba and that culture to uh, English culture. Yeah. And... Then from there, we moved back into the States, and I've moved from the East Coast to the West Coast many times. So that's just kind of, I'm just giving you a framework of what my 
childhood was like. And then as I grew up, I was I'm a person who was a competitive athlete. I was a swimmer. And I think that was partly created out of my parents believed that when kids stayed busy, they stay out of trouble and they really oh. didn't want to have kids in trouble. So we were kept pretty busy. Mm-hmm. And my father deployed a lot. So my mom really ran that you know, ran the household. And I think I learned really young how to just navigate people and situations yeah. and find a place in it where I could, um, yeah, either disappear or be seen, whatever, whatever felt needed. like. Whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever was needed. So I, I would say that's a bit about my background. And then I, I think my parents kept us pretty well protected. We grew up in a Christian home going to churches on military bases. And um, then as a, I was an athlete and I first was, uh, we were competing at the national level and, you know, getting ready, synchronized swimming. I went from speed swimming to synchronized. Synchronized swimming wasn't a speed, wasn't a competitive sport in the Olympics and it was just beginning to be considered. And so we competed at a high level and there was a lot of pressure. And that was the first time I think that, um, you know, I had to deal with, uh, someone pushing me. And in this case, the coach really wanted us to lose weight. She wanted us Mm. to all look the same. There were eight of us on a team. And I was living away from my parents with another swimming family. And so uh, that was the first time I think I felt like I had to, um, I'm trying to think what what, what the experience was. I felt like uh, I had to do something for someone that um, in order to succeed, I mm. would say, in order to succeed, like if I wasn't successful at losing the weight that she required, it was going to impact the whole team and potentially lead us to mm. uh, failure or mm. second place. So anyway, I attempted to lose weight, couldn't really lose weight. And now I realize I didn't have weight to lose. And she kept, uh, the coach kept weighing us and then saying, you know, you're not trying. And that really triggered for me because I was always a person who tried hard. So that's Mm -hmm. really what initially began. The reason I'm even telling you this story is it led ultimately to uh, sexual abuse and an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in an eating disorder from 16 years old to 36. Mm -hmm. So probably a lot of your listeners are in that age bracket. So that whole life, that 20 years was, you know, my my college, my marriages, my childbearing years, and I didn't actually begin recovery until 36 years old, and I had three children at the time, and I was back on the military base where the abuse had happened after a couple of marriages and a husband that joined the Navy out after a business we were doing together. So the, the only reason I'm telling you that is that really began a relationship with food for me Mm, because I grew up in a home where my mother used food really as a vehicle to express love. She was a homemaker and she was uh, also had gone to college and was a home economics teacher that never taught once she started having kids. So, you know, I I know that partly what we're talking about here is our relationship to the earth and to food and to our bodies. And so I would say my life, my life has been a full journey of 
discovering what that is. I'm now mm. a grandmother between my husband and I, we have five children. I have 13 grandchildren. And those, some of my oldest grandchildren are the age now where the abuse happened for me. And I actually have a grandchild who's struggling with some food issues. So it's really like full cycle for yeah. me. Um, and I farm and grow food. And believe it or not, my life ended up my primary businesses, my husband and I are the founders of Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre, which are plant-based restaurants. And I'm in the kind of healthy food world and have been for about 16 years. Mm. So I don't know how, how, how that works, how that whole cycle works. Oh, I um, love it. It's a, yeah. uh, it feels so, and from an outside perspective, hearing you say it, uh, it feels so redemptive. Mm-hmm. Um, to hear that so for things to come full circle. I think a lot of times when we have trauma, um, sometimes we can never revisit that thing again. Um, but for you to revisit it in this way that's brand new and that you're passing on um, a new cycle, a new way to look at food, a new way to nourish to all these people, to everybody who comes to your farm and to your restaurants, I think that's a beautiful thing. How did that play together? Like, was there was there an intentional redemption or redemptive mm-hmm. aspect of, were you intentionally, when you started kind of getting interested in food, did you, how did that occur? You Because you, it seems to me that these things are intertwined for you. So were you intentional to go there or did it just kind of by grace fall together for you like that? Well, Jeremy, I would say, so. Um, so I was back in the same location where it all began. Now, my eating disorder was kept a secret. So no one knew I had it. Mm. So I lived a very, like I said, in the beginning, I learned how to navigate people in situations to survive uh, as a child and probably deal with, you know, the moving and the leaving and all that. So as an adult uh, dealing with uh, sexual abuse and an eating disorder, I um, learned how to navigate. So it was a secret. No one Mm. knew. And one day, and then I was back on the base where it had happened 20 years later, and I had a child. Uh, I had three kids, but my daughter was sitting outside the bathroom one day, and I had just thrown up. And I came out of the bathroom, and she said to me, Mommy, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, of course I'm okay. Like, why? Mm. And I can't explain exactly what happened. It felt like the old-fashioned cameras that had flash bulbs, but it was like a flash of light. Mm. And it felt like a crack in a facade. Mm. And for a second, like just a split second, I had the awareness that... I was doing the same thing to her that had been done to me, Mm. which was teaching her to mistrust her inner knowing, her inner wisdom Mm. and her inner guidance. Like something in that little seven-year-old was saying, my mommy's not okay, but Mm. mommy was saying, I'm fine. Like, I don't know, what's with you? And I, there was just this flash. And then I went upstairs and I got in the shower. I was getting ready to take the kids to school. My husband was deployed and I was in the shower and I heard this voice that just said, tell the truth. And I'm like, tell the truth. I always tell the truth. Mm. And 
the phone rang and I got out of the shower and I answered the phone and somebody was asking me where a package was that I had said I had mailed. And I said, I don't know, it must have got, I don't know what happened. It should be there soon. And I looked down at my desk and here's the package. Hmm. And so I experienced, you know, being completely convicted in here's a lie, but I haven't really even faced the level of uh, facade and dishonesty that I live with. Mm. And so that, that just began the day when I said, I'm just going to start telling the truth. Mm. And my, my recovery wasn't through, you know, while I participated in different things over the years, it didn't initiate through a 12 step or a group or a, you know, uh, some kind of program. It just was listening to that voice, which, you know, for me, I call that, I I call that voice Jesus because that's what I, that's how I know it. Um, And for me, that voice led me through and I had these four steps to my recovery. So that began the recovery. And I just started telling the truth everywhere in my life. And, Mm. you know, the reason I hadn't told the truth was obviously I felt like my life would unravel and it did, it did unravel. Um, So how those are connected is the journey of recovering ultimately led me to uh, how I care for myself and having to build a whole new relationship with uh, nourishing myself and feeding Mm. myself and feeding my kids and, it was a foreign journey and a scary journey. I was, I was really good at cooking, but, you know, basically I, you know, cooked, I I didn't eat anything organic. I, you know, I, I cooked things that, I mean, I had a bakery. I've been in the food business for a long time. I survived by working in restaurants. You know, you, you, drug addicts know how to get drugs. And then when you have an eating disorder, food's your drug. So I lived in, I, I worked in restaurants. I had a bakery. I, I, you know, I kept myself around what I needed to survive. And so a lot of things began to fall away and unravel. And ultimately, you know, to what Bonnie was saying, I actually believe that for real recovery, if recovery actually includes the element of redemption, you actually do need to kind of go back into the the face of what took you out and face it again and and not get caught by the same trap that you got caught by before so i remember when we opened the first cafe and i had this experience of backing up and looking at the sign and recognizing oh 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 this is this is the completion of the mm-hmm. process I've been in for, this is my 35th year of recovery. So this is the process I've been in. So it wasn't intentional. It was simply, uh, we opened the, ca- we're in the food business, but really we're in the people business. Our, the model of our business is to, we created a retail environment in order to train people what happens when you keep your attention on being grateful no matter what. And we just mm-hmm. happen to use um, the retail environment of a restaurant. It just, you know, again, the guidance that we were following, we actually invented a board game first and the board game, we had to have a place to play it. So that's how we ended up. So no, it wasn't (laughs) thought out. Oh, I love, wait, hold on right there. So you invented a board game and then he said, I need to have a place to play this game. 
Yeah. What was the board game? It's called The Abounding River, and it's a transformational board game of moving through these six qualities, we, I say, of the divine, which is creation, responsibility, self-worth, um, love, acceptance, gratitude, generosity, and abundance. And so you play this game, and the original cafe, the board game was on every table, it's how really? we came up with all of our food being served in bowls and all the artwork was this, um, we, we hired this artist who did this amazing, drew the game and drew the cards and all the artwork. So the fact that it's a restaurant was simply because people eat every day. Um, yeah. You know, I thought, uh, you know, it ended up being a plant-based restaurant, but that was just a fluke too. We just, we read about a plant-based diet. This is like seven, 16 years ago now. And mm. I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. You know, we should try that. And we tried it, felt great. So it's really, we've stumbled, it's, we've stumbled through it by just taking the next step and trusting. I mean, we're at that mm -hmm. place now because, you know, our restaurants have, you know, we have, we have part of 14 restaurants and seven in the Southern California area. And you know, it's been kind of ground zero for the whole COVID thing. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's going. So I'm just, oh, yeah. again, trusting. So mm. I, oh. I don't know. That was a long answer to. No, it wasn't no. planned out. <laughs> <laughs> no, answer I, your question, Jeremy. No. <laughs> I love that. I More love than it. I bargained for. That's for sure. No, for sure. Yeah. In any recovery I have ever experienced, it has felt like stumbling around. It really yes. has. Um, yeah. And creative endeavors too, right? Like your recovery and your creativity that just you're stumbling for the next light or whatever it is. And it came to save you first, this feeling mm. of like it did its work in you. Mm. Um, it wasn't even Bonnie until my podcast, which is fairly new. On Mother's Day, I recorded one called Mothers and Daughters. Mm. And I hadn't even seen it before that me standing up for it's not going to happen that I pass this to my daughter is actually what led me to my recovery and ultimately mm. me reconnecting with my own inner, you know, guidance. Yeah. So it wasn't even, I didn't even do it for me. I did it for her. And ultimately that is what led to me being reconnected, you know, to my yeah. own inner voice. Mm, that's beautiful. And I had never seen that really. I hadn't really seen, oh, wow, that's how that happened. Yeah, yeah. And just this thought of like, I'm not going to let, let's go back to that when you said, I'm not going to let her distrust her inner knowing. Uh, it hit me really hard when you were talking about, you said, I learned to um, be present or be invisible when needed. I learned to sort of read the room. And when you said that, you and I have talked so much about uh, the divine feminine and about what it's like, what it's like for a, a woman out there. Um, and how we get messages all the time of not trusting our knowing. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about how did you learn to trust yourself after so many years of not trusting? Um, I'm hungry. Should I eat? Um, you know, everything that goes, the distrust that comes with an eating disorder, how did you find your way out of that to trust yourself again? Well, okay. So, you know, one advantage was my husband was deployed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have, 
any other influence that was really impacting. I lived on this military base. I, I had these, I had my three children and it really felt to me like, you know, life or death. I'd been dealing with this for 20 years. For 20 years, I had wanted, you know, for the first seven or eight years, I didn't even know what I had because eating disorders weren't public. People didn't know about it. You know, I didn't even know, I didn't know that there was something called that until it showed up on like some kind of, I, I don't know, maybe People Magazine, some family sitcom show the first time it was brought into kind of the mainstream awareness and I was like oh that's that's what it is because it doesn't feel like that it feels it feels as if you're just up against something that's all consuming and no matter what I did I couldn't defeat it that's how Mm. it feels and so um, you know, I just listened. I just listened and I did some pretty crazy things. It was pretty insane and it wasn't easy for people. You know, I, I moved all the furniture out of the house and so I'm not going to put anything in the house unless we really love it. Mm. And that was weird on a military base. And I, um, you know, I bought a Walkman that was the music system of the day. And oh, I said that the other day when my son was like, this is pausing. I'm like, you do not know the pain of something yeah. pausing. <laughs> and I bought a Walkman and I started just discovering what kind of music do I even like? Mm. Because I had morphed into, you know, so pleasing other people in order to kind of keep them off my trail. Yeah. And diffused people. And so, and then I overheard a woman in a coffee shop saying that uh, she was homeless due to some medical bills. And I just said, do you know how to cook? And she said, yeah. And I said, maybe you can come cook for my kids and, you know, I can pay you and help you with those medical bills. And so you know, she came in and started cooking for the kids because I knew I needed some space between the habitual way I have interacted with food and family meals and feeding people. Mm. So I knew I needed to slow down and, um, you know, I created new rituals. You know, I, I got, I didn't really know about herbal tea, you know, and so I, explored herbal tea. So how did I do that? How did that happen? I would say, I would say today, I don't know that anyone's ever asked me that question, (laughs) but I would say today that how it happened is when, when a person, when I had the commitment and the willingness, then the vehicle to accomplish that shows up Mm -hmm. and I was looking for it. So I began to find it Mm. and whether it was people or herbal teas or um, the woman to come and cook for my kids, it, yeah, I, I just slowed down and listened. Mm. I, and I didn't have any other competing views. Like I said, my husband was away I didn't have any other input 
attempting to draw me in any other direction. It was it was mine to do, and I was finally willing to to do it. I had such yeah. a I had such a resolve to. Yeah, I mean, not having my daughter experience what I'd experienced. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's amazing. And, you know, we talk about so many times the, sometimes the masculine way of approaching things is like, just get it done. Just do the thing. And the feminine is to go deeper in. So for you to say, like, I started by telling the truth. I started by listening, right? Um it's all these little ways that you went deeper in um, on behalf of your daughter and on behalf of yourself. And so I find it so fascinating that now you live on a farm and you guys are farmers. So whereas you could have said, I'm just going to stay away from food. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I'll just eat because I need to. You went deeper in. Can you talk about that a little bit in terms of the farming aspect of it and like getting in the soil and working with your hands? Well, the farming, okay, so we've been on the farm now um, 13 years, and the farming happened originally. My husband and I were writing a book, and we were coming back from a retreat, and I asked him, wait, why do we still live in the city? Because we both love rural life, and you know, at the time business was booming in San Francisco and we lived in a warehouse above our central kitchen. And, um, you know, we, we just kind of stopped and started looking at some real estate driving back from uh, Mendocino. And then my mother was ill. So my mother was dying and mm -hmm. I was caring for her. And we had uh, one grandchild. And I remember thinking, wow, I want my grandchildren to be able to run free. And we also wanted to be able to know the source of our food and water. And so we just kind of began looking for the possibility of that. And then we went through some major lawsuits that kind of collapsed the whole Northern California restaurants and my husband and I actually bought this land with some of the inheritance money from my mom and we moved out here in a way because things were collapsing in San Francisco and we were exhausted by process servers and we actually moved to the land and camped on it for eight years so mm. we didn't even have a house for eight years we lived here we cooked outside we started with like a hose and a bucket and you know, now we have a quite beautiful retreat center and beautiful farm. And, but that became kind of the next project. Our kids went to LA and they helped birth the LA restaurant. So again, it's a, been this cycle of kind of destruction and rebirth. And mm. um, we wanted to know, you know, we, we were already uh, doing healthy food and you know, I wanted my grandkids to be able to run free because yeah. I could see that was being lost. And there was something about, as we were going through that next battle, there was something about being close to the land that was so healing and 
so restorative to live that simply and mm. that basic. I mean, it, it felt like my church for the first, you know, eight years that we lived outdoors um, and just building and creating. And, and again, we built a farm that's really for hosting other people. It's not really for ourselves. We had lived mm. in a year for eight years. So. so does the farm supply the food for your restaurants or what, what can you describe the farm for us? And, and I also kind of want to talk to you about uh, philosophy of food too, but would you kinda, <laughs> okay, does, does it, does it supply? What, what, what's, what's the purpose of the farm there? So uh, what does it the look pur- like? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the purpose of the farm, so it's called Be Love Farm in Vacaville. And uh, the purpose of the farm originally was a place where our kids could come and the grandkids could run free. And we, we started growing food. It's very diversified. I mean, we make wine, we make olive oil, we have nuts, we have fruits, we have veggies. Mm. I make cheese, I melt cows. I, I make, I mean, it's very diversified, which is insane and not wise as a farmer. Notice most people are <laughs> monocropping, right? Yeah. And, right. but our primary product is soil, is we're building mm. soil because we're losing the topsoil right now. I don't know if you know much about regenerative farming or carbon sequestration, but we're actually building soil in order to keep the nutrition in the soil, thus the food. And the soil is like your gut health. Soil health and gut health are synonymous. So those go together. So while we're very diversified and we have cows and sheep and uh, chickens and ducks and dogs and, um, So we originally grew food and we did, uh, we still serve, we still grow food for the San Francisco restaurant and we used to grow for the LA restaurants. But as the LA restaurants expanded and grew, we became a very small provider for them and it wasn't cost effective to be driving food to Los Angeles. So we still produce for San Francisco and then we picked up two other local restaurants But in the meantime, we've built a hospitality business. So we used the farm as a retreat center for our employees so they could get a break from serving others and come and be served. And we use it to host other people's work and our own workshops and for families to take retreats and get away. Um, So yeah, corporate events, retreats, but that's only in the last few years because now the infrastructure is done so we have Mm. you know a house and a and you know a pool and a sauna and we have things that can draw and attract people but from the food side and with covid we just my husband was in mexico for the first i don't know 10 weeks of it and we um we built up a farm store so we now provide food for the local community on the honor basis and we've built up a little store on the farm and what do you mean by really great you know people just come and help themselves and pay Mm. what you know pay on their own Mm. and we've actually built that up and it's quite it's quite sweet it's it's amazing what's happened over the whole quarantine and all of that so yeah so it's both you know jeremy yes we provide some food for our local restaurants we no longer ship there but we do um serve the local community and some local restaurants as well as the people who come to stay here and visit here in the farm crew. We feed our farm crew two meals a day. Mm. Got it. Yeah. Um, 
part of what we're one, one of my earliest memories of going of reading over Genesis as a young kid, not even as a young kid, but when I was in like high school, one of my teachers said, "Hey, guess what? Um, when God created man, one of the first things that he man and women <laughs> um, watch he, it. That's yes, right. That's right. <laughs> watch it, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, so when she created man, just there you go. <laughs> um, the the one of the original intents was uh, for man to be a caretaker, men and women for people to be a ca- yeah. the caretakers of the planet, and that's was something that stuck with me like um, for such a long time. And but when I so when I think of like sustainable farming, or I think yeah. about sus- um, sustainable food, or the connection between agriculture and what we put in our mouths, um, I see a, a connection there. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you share with us a little bit of how you see maybe the connection between kind of a commission to um, to be a caretaker and possibly go into like a philosophy of sustainable farming and um, how maybe that also contrasts, like you said, the mono... Um, the mono uh, product, the uh, mono cropping that happens in the world, and how that can be harmful, obviously is harmful in 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 huge ways. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, as I said, it's actually the condition of the soil is like the condition of your gut, mm. and we're now well aware that we have an imbalance in the condition of a lot of people's guts. Yeah, and. You know, while I don't have the answer, there's certainly a lot of, um, I've often wondered how come nobody was allergic when I was a kid and almost everybody's allergic to something now and how come there was hardly any, um, you know, uh, you know, all the memory and, you know, uh, hyperactivity. I mean, how come all this is so big now? And you know, one possible thing to look at is what we've done to our food mm. because, um, you know, there's a whole industry that's supported by making a lot of food that's actually not that great for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I ask myself every day while we're in this pandemic, you know, 65% of the American people have some type of chronic disease. Well, how come we're not doing anything about that? Yeah. And one of the th- possibilities of that is the way we grow our food because there are people who have all there's so many people who have gluten and wheat allergies and yet they can go to Europe and they're fine because consider it's the chemicals that we're putting on our food that you know monocropping in these big conglomerate farms which is the only way that farmers can actually make money and much of that is government subsidized is by they're just chemically growing food just like people are chemically staying alive with pharmaceuticals Mm. and it's a mess it's like you know people take pills to you know get up in the morning and they take pills to go to sleep in the morning they take pills to digest their food and they take you know as opposed to looking at what would it take to actually get back to eating and caring for the caring for the land and eating the food that it produced. And I agree with you. I believe that men and women were created to steward the land, to actually mm-hmm. care for the land. And, you know, you don't have to travel very far and just look at, look at the plastics in the ocean, look at the plastic yeah. in every river, in every developing nation. Those people were used to being able to throw down green pottery because that's what their food was served in, but now it's in plastic and they know no different. And so how did we get to this place where, 
there's so much not food that's being sold as food and it's causing so much sickness that there are children who can't breathe. There are children who can't eat. Like we need to begin to look at that. So I come from the philosophy of that all food's good if you eat it as close to nature as it was created. Mm. So, you know, um, you know, an apple is a lot better for you than a Jolly Roger, you know, Jolly Roger apple sour candy, right? (laughs) But, you know, and how did we get sugar in so many things? So for me, I think, and and I've worked with a lot of people who deal with food issues, uh, it's eat as close to nature as you can. Get yourself out in nature. Get related to the source of your food. I mean, we do tours for kids and we'll say something about, we'll show them chickens and say something about chicken McNuggets and they have no idea that chicken McNuggets are actually chicken. They've never (laughs) made that connection or that milk actually comes from a cow, not a store or not a carton or not a carton that doesn't even need to be refrigerated. Like how do we get to there? But so, you know, there's lots of views of that, but yes, Jeremy, to answer your question. Yes. I think, we need to live closer to the land and we need to understand our food. And how we do that is we tend to the land and we listen to the land like we listen to ourselves. What do we mm. need? The, the land wants diversity. You don't ever see mono, yeah. you don't see crops that grow all by themselves. Crops, there's a network of conversations that goes on between trees and they, you know, somebody needs this mineral and that tree goes and gets it. And said, so, you know, there's a, before that, internet before the web uh there is a network in the earth there is a communication between Mm. plants like there is communication between food and they cooperate with one another and provide what one another needs but that only happens in a diversified landscape and so as soon as you begin to monocrop you cut off the relationship that plants need to be able to pull and draw the minerals and the nutrients and the support for one another it's a very cooperative world in a garden that has a little bit of a lot of things but as soon as you do a lot of one thing you've broken down the vehicle for communication Mm. and so it's the same in the soil as it is in our life the life of the life of the planet as it was created is very much like the life of us and it's seasonal you should eat in seasons like people want people ask us in you know november december do you guys have corn and it's like no corn doesn't grow in the winter yeah but strawberries don't either you know but people want strawberries all year round well Mm -hmm. We had strawberries, but we don't have strawberries now. But teaching people to eat when food's available in their local area, people have to learn patience. They have to learn like there's a seasonal program. If you eat seasonally, you actually get everything you need, everything your body needs, but you get it in a year cycle, not on Tuesday at four. You know, that's when I want blueberries. I want blueberries Tuesday at four, but that's not the way that it was designed. It's not the way it was created, nor is it the way. about the impact of that as well. It's massive. massive. Just the carbon footprint because you do get um you know strawberries at it it, without out of season but uh it took an airplane to bring them to you right so the the cost was is far greater than what we realized and i i think i like um what you when you said we eat um close to nature i think that's geographically you're saying as well right 
Yeah, just exactly. Like, not just like here's a piece of candy versus a um, no. an apple. No, eat close next to have your, your food community. come yeah. being geographically close to where you are is that right yes yes exactly eat seasonally for your where you live right mm-hmm. we you know right now i don't have cantaloupes they're in the store but i don't have them i'll have cantaloupes you know in august mm-hmm. in september so i wait i don't buy things that we we actually eat here off of our land i would probably say in the summer you know, 89, 90%, we grow mm-hmm. everything we eat. And in the winter, it's probably, you know, 80 to 85, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, yeah. And it's a different life to be able to do that. And I'm not saying everybody can do that, but but support a local family farm in your area. They'll do it and they'll supply it for you. Yeah. And that's obviously what farmer's markets do. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people get, you know, you have to get past the cost of food. No, you pay somewhere. You pay somewhere. You either pay more for the food or you pay for the health care because yeah. you didn't pay for the food. Uh, so I think if we want to be well and healthy and whole and happy, then we want to take care of the land around us and the land will take care of you. Mm. And if we don't do that, we've kind of lost that first relationship, like you said, where, you know, man and woman were created to actually steward the earth, to care for it. And it's a beautiful life when you do it. And even if you're not doing that, because there's obviously lots of skills and gifts and callings, support someone who does in your local area. Yeah. And someone who's, I, I I totally agree with you. Part of our story, I don't even think I've told you this out of all we've talked, uh, we got mold poisoning and so we had to recover, but it destroyed our guts. And then when my daughter was born, she like was basically born with a leaky gut and it was, um, before she was even one, it was like a question of like, what do we do? And it was like, you could either put on a prescription drug or you could try to, uh, the doctor said, or you could try to reverse some of these things with diet. And the temptation was strong because I'm tired and she's my second kid and um, the things that we had to do for the diet. And so it was a lot. And I was like, you know what though? Like, kind of like you said, like if I can reverse something in my daughter, I'm going to do it. Right. If I could pass something better down for her. And so we were like, we'll try the diet for X amount of months and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. And so we did the, you know, under a nutritionist and someone that helped us, um, a gaps diet and she's fine yeah, now. That's good. And I was so, it was a, I had known food was so powerful. Um, but it really changes to see it like work its way out in somebody right in front of your, right in front of your eyes. Yeah. That's a great example. It's a great example. See the body will heal itself if you support it in doing mm-hmm. what it's designed to do, but you have to actually support it in its healing. You can't, mm-hmm just use pharmaceuticals to cover up or compensate for, which is what people are doing, you know, in glyphosate, which is just everywhere. And that's one of the things that leads to leaky gut. It leads to all of these Mm -hmm. things is glyphosate is a horrendous chemical that is on almost all our food. If you're not buying freshly grown or organic food and it's massive, the impact on people. Well, and to live that way, um, in terms of like eating seasonally, for example, and listening to the land that it just goes back to what you said about that knowing is listening to what is the earth saying to me 
like how there's a conversation between the plants and the land. Um, I feel like that can be a conversation between us and the plants. Um, I'm terrible at keeping things alive. Is it true if I spend time with my plants and talk to them, it will, <laughs> they will do better? That's what I want to know. Yeah, in part, in part, I mean, it's great. Part of it is like getting plants in good soil. Yeah. And then giving them the conditions they need to thrive, just like people. There are conditions yeah. that people need to thrive, whether it's sunlight and water or nutritions or minerals. It, it's all of that. It's mm. and caring for the, I mean, also, you have to be willing to deal with failure. You have to be okay yeah. with failure because, you know, we, we deal with failure all the time, but we learn something from it. Wow. That when we first moved here, we planted a whole bunch of citrus. It turned out we planted citrus in the coldest area of the farm and we lost, you know, I don't know, a hundred trees. And now we have olives out there and the olives you find out there, we move the citrus in closer to ultimately where we built the house and they have some protection. So you're always learning. You've got to work with something just like mm. in relationship, you learn to work with someone and your kids, you learn to work with them. Not all kids learn the same. Nature is such an amazing teacher. Uh, mm. the, the, the beauty, um, you know, the, the intensity of it, uh, yeah. it's such a great teacher and it's relentless. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't let up, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, our relationship to land is key. Yeah. It's key to health and overall health. And then, you know, eating food that's, that feels good and tastes good and the food tastes different. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to look beautiful, Mm -hmm. You know, food in the grocery store looks beautiful, but what they did to get it there is not that good for you. And yeah. so even the difference in the color of the egg yolks from the oh, farmer's massive. market versus like <laughs> yeah. a Costco, whatever yeah. pack. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, most people don't know that when you buy an egg in the grocery store, it's probably a month or so old at least. It's just, you know, yeah. there's just a, we, we don't know, we don't, we don't. We don't even know what's going on in food, you mm -hmm. know, it's so, so that's the value of, and it's more about, see, I think I remember in my recovery when I got to the place where it was about quality, not quantity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a, that's a shift for people. And so I think you want to, we want to move towards that. What's the quality of the food? Not, oh, look at how much I can get for yeah. this price. Mm -hmm. That's a particular mindset versus look at how much nutrition is in this small amount of food because yeah. it's, it's not quantity. It's mm -hmm. really the quality of the food. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions you asked me earlier too, that I just want to share because based on who's listening, it could be helpful is how the four steps to my recovery was tell mm -hmm. the truth, face your fears because mm -hmm. the reason people don't tell the truth is because you're afraid. So the yeah. reason you don't want to really know what's in your food is because you're afraid of what you might find out and the changes you might need to make. And then the third one is uh, stay in the moment. Like mm. don't, don't look too far ahead. Don't look too far behind. And then the fourth one was open up to open up to love, loving yourself, mm. loving others, letting others love you, you know, loving the earth, loving God, loving, yeah. you know, however. And, and that was the steps of that. And so if you lay that on top of tending to the land, it's exactly the same. It's, mm you know, the, the land, the land will tell you the truth about, like I said, you'll, you'll see failure, you'll see success. Um, you know, there's only what's right here right now. There's only, 
you know, what's right here, right now going on. It's like, we can't really tell what's going to happen. We plant a seed and, you know, sometimes it's an amazing crop and sometimes it doesn't germinate, you know, mm. and then it's just really developing the ability to, to love, mm -hmm. to love living that, that close, that connected, that mm. related. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, gosh, I just love your story. Where can people visit your farm? Where can they uh, find you and listen to your podcast too? So, okay. So uh, the farm is belovefarm.com and we do overnights and stays and retreats and groups and individuals. You just need to get out of the city right now. You want to go outside and not wear a mask. You can come here. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah. So belovefarm.com. And then my podcast is called Unreasonably Grateful, Living in Grace by Choice. Mm -hmm. And it's really my, um, it's kind of an overlay of my recovery story, both um, a, an element of the personal, but also an element of the universal, how it applies to everyone, and then what it looks like and how it applies today. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's um, on all the, you know, formats for podcasts and it's unreasonably grateful we'll tag and that then, too in the show notes okay, so everyone right. and then it. yeah my website is terzyengelhart.com and awesome. on the website there's a blog and the podcast link and there's some other things the books things that we've things that i've and for the southern california listeners you have patios yes that's we do we have uh yeah <laughs> at we your have, restaurants uh, right yeah yep Mm -hmm. Cafe Gratitude's open yeah. in Larchmont, Venice, uh, downtown. San Diego's Newport? opening. Newport's Diego. Gracias Madre. Gracias Madre. Uh, West Hollywood's Gracias Madre. So, yeah. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, there's um, patios and to-go and all that. So, and hopefully one day we get together again and actually hug. That would be awesome. Yes, that would be awesome. Hey, I've, I'm like just dying to know this. If you sent somebody to your restaurants, to Cafe Gratitude um, uh -huh. or the Madres one, what's your favorite thing on the menu? Uh, let's see here. Okay. So in Cafe Gratitude, there's still, I, I don't, all of our restaurants have affirmations for names. So yeah. I am Grace is the original. I think it's called Devoted now. It's a, it's a, coconuts milkshake with coconut maca dates. i've had it's really it it's, it's amazing yeah yeah it's <laughs> it's an original one of my favorites and then in gracias madre we actually have a new chef in gracias madre who i love mario he's great and um but i i love really good guacamole and we do uh regenerative corn we make our own corn chips and tortillas and it's from a regenerative farmer and so i i actually like chips and salsa and margaritas yes. <laughs> i actually the like classic. i like those the things. staples right the yeah trinity i of like the, those of things the that's right that's sure. the holy trinity for <laughs> sure <laughs> why not you know what okay i'm extremely allergic to corn in all its forms do you think if i had regenerative corn i could eat it well well, here's what I would do. I would look to see. Yeah, I, I, I would try, but I would also look to see. Um, Make sure you have an EpiPen on hand. Basically. Yeah, corn is just, <laughs> corn is one of those manipulated crops. It's yes. You're not going to yeah. get GMO free unless it's GMO modified, mm -hmm. unless you get organic. 
Right. And so again, I would say there's probably some element of healing for your body to be able to digest it well and not respond yeah. to it. But, um, you know, I always think try like people are oftentimes allergic to milk and they come here and we have raw milk and they're like, how come I don't have any problem with this? Because uh, yeah. of what it is. So, you know, again, it's something you could try, but you, yeah, again, know the source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if I'm going to try it, I'm going to try a little bit with a margarita at your restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. great. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This is such a delight. Your story so is amazing. Welcome. And I love all the things you opened up about our connection to food and the communication and the parallels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if I were going to leave people with one thing, I would mm-hmm. say food is actually designed to, to nourish you. Mm-hmm. It's designed to nourish you and heal you and feed you and sustain you. And, um, and, and my wish for people would be that we would, we would have a healthy uh, and kind of a joyous relationship to food. Mm, and yeah. um, it begins really with some education and then, you know, one bite at a time. Mm. It's mm. really just, it's, it's always there. It's always available. And it simply takes your availability and your willingness to be able to embrace the possibility of, you know, a, a healthy, amazing, wonderful relationship with food because it's mm. actually here working on your behalf. Mm, I so love that. That would be my, my wish for people. Thank you you so guys much. are thank great. You. I oh, had thank no- <laughs> you. You're great. <laughs> that went by so stinking fast. That's great. Well, I thank you it. guys. Thank yeah. you so much for being here. This is awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful.